What's going on? Welcome into the Tuesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside my co-host Jim Eichenhofer of Pelicans.com. We continue with our NBA draft preview as uh, we're now at pick number eight. And joining us today is Ian Begley, who covers the Knicks, the Nets, and the NBA for SNY TV. Ian, I really appreciate the time. How are you today? Hey, my pleasure, Daniel, Jim. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, good to be with you. Uh, Before we get to Jim here, let's talk about kind of um what the what the fans are thinking right now with the Knicks I know it's been a rough few years to say to Lisa about um how they've looked but is there any optimism or what's the outlook looking like with a new regime there and a new head coach and Tom Thibodeau yeah I think in general here in New York you know when you get a new team president new head coach fans will give you the benefit of the doubt obviously they want to win obviously it's been a rough 20 years or so here in Manhattan and they're hungry for a winner but I think most fans at least the ones I interact with would be okay with a, a, a slow, patient, long-term rebuild uh, with Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau. I kind of get the, get the sense that they would prefer to win as quickly as possible. I don't think they're committed to, uh, you know, either going all in and trying to win next year or, you know, tanking for the 2021 draft. I don't think they fully committed to one direction or another as we approach this offseason. Uh, but I, I do get the sense that a lot of Nick fans, which might surprise you, would be open to taking a, a patient, longer-term approach. Do you think that approach was changed based on this new regime, or do you think that approach was going to be the same no matter uh, who was in that position as a head coach and new president? Right. I think with Tom Thibodeau, you know, he's coached, obviously, um, very, very successful teams, and he leaned on veterans with, with Chicago and also with Minnesota to try to win, to try to get in the playoffs. Those were his goals with those teams. But he's also had a history of developing players. I mean, Jimmy Butler, Joe Noah, uh, it's a long list of guys in Chicago, Tosh Gibson, that he helped develop. And, and, and that team, while it was ready to win when he took over, you know, uh, certainly I think you look at those players and you can see how he could do the same thing for some of these young Knicks. So I do think Thibodeau in general – you bring him in, you want to win right away, but I wouldn't necessarily rule out the idea that he can develop some of the Knicks' younger players in the short term here as the Knicks look to add more talent. Before I get to the draft, uh, before I get to Jim here, I do want to talk about pick number eight, Ben, and you talk about this approach with them having the eighth pick, obviously not in the top three or four where a lot of the, the main guys are. Does that change their strategy as far as how they might look at pick number eight, whether they say maybe we can trade back and be a little patient at this point, or do they see themselves staying at number eight and finding a guy that can fit what they are trying to do? You know, in the past few weeks, you know, agents and people around some of the top players in this draft have been told by other teams that the Knicks were going to look into trading up. So I think they have looked into trading up. I don't know where they are on it. Uh, I'm sure they are comfortable with staying at eight if that's the best scenario for them Uh, with regards to trading back, there's been a couple of reports about them looking into that. I know that there are players in the middle uh, and closer to the, to twenties in the first round that they like that they're fans of. So I I think that uh, what you have here is they're kind of preparing for different scenarios. I think that if they do sit at eight uh, it's going to be best player available, whether that's a lead guard or a wing and it'll be interesting to see what happens ahead of them. If one of these top guards falls to them at eight, I would assume that they would snatch that player up because they have a need at lead guard. Hey, uh, you've got a, a really cool looking SNY backdrop behind you. <laughs> Reminds me of a quick story I was going to tell. I was, in, uh, I was in New York State uh, a few weeks ago, 
on vacation and I turned on SNY at my brother's house and you were the highlight of the show because <laughs> you came on, your report came on right after they talked to the Giants and Jets reporters. Yes. You, you had the, you definitely had the brightest uh, news report of, of the day with the way, <laughs> the way they, things Nixon are going. Nets are 0-0. They're at the top of the standing. So <laughs> you can't complain about anything yet. Give us exactly. a couple of games. Exactly. But um, <laughs> one of the things I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you, you mentioned this um, in terms of the willingness to rebuild around young players or make a, a quicker move to try to move up the standings faster. It seems like that's been a debate in New York for a, the last bunch of years as, as far as what they've talked about, what the plan is going to be. The Knicks kind of remind me right now of the, where, where the Lakers were a few years ago before LeBron, where it was like you're, you, you keep telling people to be patient and you're building around young players. But it's easier said than done because once you have a few years in a row where the, you're not winning as, enough games or as many games as you want to win, it's, it's hard to kind of stick with that plan. But I mean, based on, do you feel like though that if it does, if the situation comes up where they can't sign a big name guy in the next couple of years, that they could um, commit to this where, you know, over the next period of years, they're building around young guys and they just keep adding, you know, pieces to the mix. The sense that I get is I think that uh, there's a comfort level with this upcoming season being kind of a bridge season, if that's the way it shakes out. But I think that they, you know, Leon Rose, obviously he's, he's brought here because he, he is a respected uh, man in the basketball industry and for uh, the idea that he can help kind of shed the negative labels that have been associated with the Knicks for so long. But he's also here to bring in top talent. So I don't think that they would, you know, go three, four years of just playing uh, to get a good draft pick and giving young guys like a million minutes, letting them play through mistakes. I think if it's not this offseason, which it probably won't be, I think next offseason then would be the offseason where they really look to be more aggressive and, and courting some top talent around the league to come to New York. So, you know, I, I think if, with this season, it's about taking a step forward and, and showing, you know, that potential free agent next summer or that potential, you know, disgruntled star next summer that you are the missing piece towards us competing in the Eastern Conference. Last thing before I go back to Daniel from me, um, obviously a lot of uh, Duke fans have kind of become Pelicans fans because of they have Zion, Brandon Ingram, various other players that played. For Langdon. Yeah. Can, can you give us an update on RJ Barrett as far as what his, his progress was for last season? Yeah. So I think basically with RJ, uh, Nick's coaches really liked his work ethic. They liked his approach. He had a steady approach. He didn't get too high, didn't get too low. He always uh, was able to brush, you know, whatever happened last night off of himself and be focused and practice the next day. And he was a hard worker. Um, so I think the general thought is whatever his ceiling is talent wise, he won't have trouble reaching it because of his professional approach and his approach to consistently improving on the court though. You know, I think it'll come down to in part how reliable his jump shot ends up being. If he's able to knock down shots from the perimeter, consistently that really could open things up for him uh, if that's not as consistent the floor ends up shrinking a little bit uh when he's out there but he's also he showed himself to be a terrific distributor and he was able to create off the dribble just because of his strength uh so there were things that you you like if you're a Nick fan and if you're the Knicks but obviously with all young players areas to improve 
Ian, before I let you go, you're working on a great project um, called The Putback. Can you just explain to, to our listeners, at one, uh, what's it all about and, and how maybe they can watch or, or listen to it? Right. So it's a weekly NBA show. It's digital. It's on SNY.TV and we put it out on all our social media channels. And basically, you know, we're focused on the Knicks and the Nets, but we also touch uh, on subjects around the league. And what I try to do is I try to bring a guest or two in who could kind of peel back the curtain on the goings on in the NBA, whether it's to give insight about a particular player, particular coach, particular team, just to kind of delve deeper into a subject than you know you might find in your average tweet. So that's what we're trying to do. We're having a lot of fun with it. We're deep into the draft coverage at this point. It airs every Wednesday, so it comes out Wednesday afternoons on SNY.TV. You can find it on my Twitter. We had uh, the great Adrian Wojnarowski as our guest last week. He was fantastic. So we just want to keep it rolling and keep giving fans that deeper layer, uh, level of insight uh, on our show. Good stuff. Ian does great work there up in New York as a reporter covering the Knicks, Nets, and NBA for SNY TV. You can follow Ian on Twitter, as he mentioned, at Ian Begley, I-A-N. B-E-G-L-E-Y. Ian, I really appreciate the time. This gave us some good insight leading into the draft next week with regards to the New York Knicks. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. I appreciate it. Daniel, Jim, thanks so much. I look forward to it. We've had two great guests to start this week. Big thanks again to Ian Begley uh, from SNY TV. We had James Edwards on, on Monday talking about the Detroit Pistons. I'll go down the list of who we're going to reach out to next or later on this week as far as picks number nine and 10 are concerned. But but, Jim, uh, let's talk about kind of what Ian said here about what the Knicks approaches during this offseason with Tom Thibodeau in a new regime here. They kind of, they're kind of they kind of in the same situation as the Pelicans from this standpoint. I know the Knicks have, have had some bad results lately, and, and, you know, the Pelicans had a playoff opportunity in 2018. But if you look at the rebuilding part, you know, obviously under David Griffin and now a new head coach in Stan Van Gundy, they're sort of in the same place, I feel like, as far as – when do you take that next leap of your rebuilding process when it becomes patience instead of win now? And I feel like it's, it's really a tough decision for a lot of these franchises to figure out the balance between how they do this, where it comes in the draft, whether it comes in free agency and how else they decide to build their roster. Yeah. And I think the one thing that's, you always have to factor into is how sometimes realistically, like how long has a team been in rebuilding mode? I think, for the Pelicans, I mean, you may agree or disagree with this, but to me, this season coming up is kind of year two of, of rebuilding. I don't know yeah. how you want to classify it. I think year, you could say year zero was the year that Anthony Davis you know, made his trade demand because that was kind of what set this into motion. I think one of the things that's different, a little bit different about the Knicks situation is it feels like they've been in this mode longer. And I think right. once you get to maybe the third, fourth, fifth year, and you still haven't made the playoffs. Um, Pelicans were just in the playoffs in 2018. So to me, it doesn't feel like it's been that long because really it hasn't. But for a team like New York, I think what makes it even tougher in terms of your decision of whether you start to try to spin it forward and make a bunch of moves to get better immediately is um, people have only so much patience. And I, you know, I think that's one of the problems or obstacles issues that they have to face is, okay, we've been one of the worst teams in the league for X number of years. We can't do this forever. We, you, you don't want to miss the playoffs eight, nine years in a row like a couple of teams in the West have done. You know, Phoenix and Sacramento have been out of the playoffs for a long time. So that's one thing I think that 
you know, that that's makes it tough for them. Um, for the Pelicans, I think there's a little bit more patience. I can't speak for everyone. I can't speak for every fan, but I do feel like in general that there is a level of understanding that this process might take time and, you know, they, everyone wants to be as competitive as possible, but I don't think that they're going into the season. Like some teams might saying like, you have to make the playoffs or it's the apocalypse. I think we, I should speak for myself here, just saying that I want to, I just want to see continued development and progress from the young players. And regardless of how that turns out, whether it's playoffs or not, I'll be content with the season. If we keep seeing the kind of strides that we saw last year from guys like Brandon Ingram, who was the most improved player in the league. Yeah. I think that's the big difference you mentioned. And David Griffin talked about it when he was first hired is this is more of a retooling. And a lot, I feel like a lot of franchises are starting to use that term as a retooling and not a rebuilding because you're absolutely right. The Pelicans have been in the playoffs um, more recently than the New York Knicks, but also the pieces that the Pelicans have compared to the Knicks. And this is yeah. not a, an insult to the Knicks, but when you talk about the number one pick in Zion Williamson, the, the reigning most improved player in Brandon Ingram, you still have the veteran pieces like JJ Redick and Drew Holiday out there. You have Lonzo Ball. You just feel like there are a lot more assets during this, you know, time for the Pelicans than there is with the New York Knicks and then you add Stan Van Gundy into the fold. Um, whether that means there's a bigger leap this year and that they do make the playoffs, then maybe the expectations all of a sudden get a little bit higher. But you're right. I think um, this year is going to be kind of, I think for a lot of teams too, they might take this year as the bridge year, as Ian said, and because of the potential shortened schedule and, you know, lack of fans and all that, they may say like, you know, we don't do anything drastic. Let's develop our guys and see where it takes us. So I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, things play out with, with the Pelicans and, and even the Knicks there at number eight. And, you know, Ian kind of touched on this a little bit in the middle part of what he was talking about, where he said that he thinks that Knicks fans are understanding of the process and, and have the patience that is necessary to see, kind of see this through on New York's end of it. Um, I do think that, that as me, <laughs> I do think though, that as, not just with New York fans, but New Orleans fans, I think across the board, fans everywhere, including as well as media people, I think we're a lot smarter about rebuilding than we were maybe 10 or 15 years ago because we've seen teams make the mistake over and over again of they're still trying to build their, and then they accelerate into win now mode and it backfires. So I, I think people just in general are a lot more reasonable than maybe they used to be there was a thought, I mean, I'm a New York state native. There was a thought a while ago that New York fans and Knicks fans in particular could never, you know, live with a long rebuilding period, but I don't think that's really the case anymore. I think people definitely understand. I mean, we saw this with Philadelphia fans of how patient they were with the process. I mean, it's, it's changed a lot in terms of people's patience and their, their willingness to go along with a deliberate plan where it's, it's not all about necessarily like, squeezing as many wins as you can out of a team that's going to be a seven seed or an eight seed, you know, compared to let's do this the right way. And I think that's something that David Griffin has talked about a lot in the year plus that he's been here is that you want to do it in a way that makes sense and you don't want to skip steps and you don't want to make decisions that end up, you know, backfiring and put you back one step forward and two steps back. I think another great example is the Brooklyn Nets. How They are, we're just now recovering from the, the, Kevin Garnett, Joe Johnson, Brooklyn trade uh, with the Boston Celtics. And once they got out of that rut, you know, they're able to acquire finally assets. 
They're able to build the team, and now they were able to acquire free agent talent like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And now everyone's saying like now it's their time to go in that all-in mode. But they're for a, a big period of time they're in that rebuild mode, just trying to get out of well, we're going to have to be bad for a few years because we don't have any first-round picks or or any cap space available and things like that. So um, it's it's it really is fascinating to see what situation different teams are as we're we're going through this one through twelve learning about these teams and what kind of mode they're in, even though these teams, some of these teams are in, you know, picks one, two, three, four, some might not be in that early rebuilding mode that, you know, we would think when they're drafting that position. So I think come next Wednesday, whether it's trades or whether it's, you know, how these teams draft, we'll kind of figure out a little bit more um, what direction a lot of these teams are going, including the New Orleans Pelicans. You know, one quick thing, too, before we wrap up, I was going to add to what you just said. I mean, Bro- the Brooklyn Nets are a perfect example of what I was talking about as far as in what you brought up in terms of win now mode. And sometimes that can cost you and set you back five, six years. I think not that I wish ill on anyone, but I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens to a couple of the teams in the West that have put all their eggs into the right now basket in terms of trading all their future picks, because what what happened to Brooklyn I mean, you want all these teams, um, really the Clippers are in this mode. The Lakers are in this mode. Um, the Rockets, I think, are another team that traded a bunch of their future picks. What you don't want to see happen is what happened to Brooklyn, where not only do you not have your picks, but your team is declining. So all of a sudden you're not make you're either like a fringe playoff team or not making it all, and you don't have a pick. And I think that's actually one of the things to kind of tie it back together to New Orleans, not to the same extent, but one of the problems that Pelicans had in the recent few years ago was that there were a, there were a few years where they didn't make the playoffs and they didn't have a lottery pick. And I think that's what you really want to avoid because when you have that combination, it really puts you behind the eight ball as far as setting up for the future. And the bright side for what David Griffin has done already in the Anthony Davis trade is not only does your future look bright with the assets that they have, but also the draft picks are there as well that you could have, Soon you'll be accumulating multiple first round picks when you have the Lakers deal in place and you don't know how they're going to be structured in the next few years. So I think that is the positive. If you're looking at the outlook for the Pelicans to realize all the young talent, new head coach, plus the, the multiple first round picks that are going to come down the pipeline. I think it's going to be pretty exciting for New Orleans uh, even this year and, and see what happens with four picks, including that pick number 13. Well, we'll continue with our, our draft previews at the end of the week here. We're, we're still trying to put the pieces together of, of when uh, we might have our next podcast. It could be as early as tomorrow. We're working on a particular guest to maybe talk about Stan Van Gundy. And then on Thursday, our goal is to have more of a draft preview, going to picks 9 and 10 with the Washington Wizards and the Phoenix Suns. We have two great guests for you that cover both teams on both sides of this country. And then we'll uh, have more for you, obviously, next week leading up to the draft on November 18th. But you don't want to miss any of our podcasts. We appreciate you listening, and um, we'll uh, talk to you later on down the week. Just want to remind you, of course, that this podcast is sponsored by SeatGeek. And just like all of you, SeatGeek can't wait to get back in the stands with you to cheer on the Pelicans and sing along to our favorite songs. Again, they're using this time to make discovering, buying, and selling tickets to events in the Big Easy well easier. Plus, every ticket purchased on SeatGeek is protected by their buyer guarantee, which means you'll get your money back or better if your event is canceled, guaranteed. Download the SeatGeek app today, and when the time is right, let's go. Time to get out of here on this Tuesday. We'll talk to you in the next couple of days. Till then, for Jim, I'm Daniel. Have a great rest of your Tuesday.